Welcome to Passion Life Church. Man, we're in this series that we've entitled Welcome Home. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 15, verse 17. Uh, I love this phrase, welcome home, because you may have seen it on some of our banners and some of our new business cards that we have uh, out there on the tables. We ask that you take those, invite some people to church. It's not just a, a cool, cute phrase. Welcome home actually is taken from the story that's in Luke chapter 15. And uh, in this story, we've been looking at Jesus's telling the story because some religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees, the scribes, they're mad at him because he's sitting with sinners. How many of you were a sinner? Let me see before you came. How many of you were, you were a sinner? Let, let me see. All right. So some of you aren't raising your hands, so you just lied. You were a sinner. All right. Come on. Let me see. How many sinners? You were a sinner. Let, let me see. Right. And, and let, let me just tell you this. I, this is what I really believe. Some people will say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you're not just a sinner saved by grace. You are saved by grace, and now you are a child of God. Yes, you make mistakes at times, but we are not first a sinner. Can I hear a good amen? Now that we have come into the light of Jesus Christ, we are saved. And so he was sitting with sinners, and they were mad. They were mad. Why is the Son of God sitting with sinners? And so he begins to talk to them and the disciples about God's heart, about God's heart for lost people. How many of you know there are some lost people in this world? And I, I, I just look, and every time I see in the news these people and some of the things that they're doing and mass shootings, I'm just like, man, I, I don't, you say, do you get upset? Pastor Phil, yeah, it makes me angry, but in a righteous way, it just reminds me that we are needed in this world. We, the light, we are the light. We are the salt and we are needed. What an opportunity to see God's glory. Did I come to the right church this morning? And so he's sitting with sinners and they're upset with him because he's doing that. But they didn't really understand God the Father. And so what Jesus is doing, he's talking about the passion that God has for lost people. Now, if you were to read the caption in your Bible, it says it's the story of the prodigal son. And I wish, really wish they wouldn't have put it that. They wouldn't have, have put it that way. Because actually this story that we're about to read, it's a story of a loving and gracious father. That is really the focus of, of, this, of this father. And I think oftentimes when we talk about our heavenly father, it can conjure up, right, thoughts about our earthly father, right? And, and I think that what can happen is depending on the father that you had, some people had a great example of what a father is and, and should be, and, and others didn't. I never met my real father. I had, and I, I found out I was adopted, and then the father that I did have, uh, you know, he went through a divorce with my mom, and, and so I was, I was real jaded, and I thank God that he healed my relationship uh, with my, who I call my father, the one who adopted me, but this was really hard for me when I was living in the world about 19 before I gave my life to Christ. I couldn't even pray Father God. I couldn't pray that because it was just, it, it just rang uh, wrong and I, I didn't understand it. I was so hurt. But how many of you know when you come and you open up your heart to who God is, he can change all that and he can make a dysfunctional person healthy. Can I hear a good amen today? But oftentimes I think we don't realize that God intended for our earthly fathers to be a reflection of our heavenly father. And so if we're going to experience what God has in our lives, sometimes we have to detach, listen, what people have done to us if we're going to receive God's best. I just want to help you today. Not everything that happens to you is God, right? 
Somebody bumps into you at the store, you know, and you're like, hey, that's, that's, that's not God. Well, you know, God's teaching me how to walk. And so people, people come up with these weird things. Well, God's, you know, you know, I, I tripped in, in the morning because I didn't see, you know, the light wasn't on. And so God's trying to show me, you know, I mean, it's just like, no, you, you, you tripped, right? You stubbed your toe. That was you. You messed up. It wasn't God trying to, you know, illuminate a revelation in your life. Can I hear a good amen today? I just think, I think it's funny, but a lot of people, what they do is they attach meaning to everything that happens to them. I just want to tell you, there's a lot of crazy people in the world and they're doing crazy things, but you cannot interpret it as God doing that to you. Can I hear a good amen today? And I say that because now I had a great relationship with my, my father. He has now passed on. He was, he was a, a pastor and all that things and all those things, but it's very easy to look at what I went through and God, go, God, this is who you are. Actually, it wasn't who he was, but I was allowing that to cloud my vision. And so today I hope that as we talk about the, the father heart of God, that you'll detach if people hurt you. Maybe your dad left you or abandoned you, but you'll detach that and be open to God's best and see the father heart of God. And so Jesus, I'm going to paraphrase because last week we started in part one. Jesus is talking about a man who had two sons. Jesus loved to speak in parables because he loved to use natural principles to illustrate spiritual truths because people could understand it. Aren't you thankful that Jesus talked in the language that people could understand? That's, what I, that's one of the biggest compliments I actually get from people who walk out and they'll say, you know, Phil, I've been to church for whatever, 20 years. And you know what I love about this church is that I understand what you're talking about. And I'm like, isn't that the way it should be? Like, shouldn't you, you know, understand the Bible? Jesus talked in parables for that, for that reason. I don't want this to be a church where you walk out and you go, oh my gosh, that was so good. What do you talk about? I don't know, but I loved it. Like, I want, I want you to have some word in you, right? And so what happens is Jesus is talking about the father, this father who represents God, the father. And he had two sons. And one of the sons comes to the father and says, give me, everybody say that, say, give me. Come on, say it loud. Say, give me. me. Say it like a two-year-old is talking to you. Give me. He says, give me my share of the estate. And basically in this culture, you only got your inheritance and share of the estate when the father died. And so he was coming to the father. It was disrespectful. It was rude. And he was basically saying, I wish you were dead. I want what is mine. But let me go a little bit deeper because really this is what the son was saying to the father is I want to live my life with all the benefits, yet I don't want to have a relationship with the one who's giving me this. And many people live this way today. They want everything, and they say, man, they wouldn't tell you they want God's best, but man, they want to live their life, but they want to live their life detached from the very one who gives life. And this is what happens with the son, and we're going to see how it, it turns out, because he ends up, this young man is a very wealthy man, and so he gets his uh, uh, share of the estate, and he blows it. He goes out, man, he parties, he parties like it's 1999, and he's like, man, really excited. He goes to Vegas, he plays the slot machines at 7-Eleven, he's playing the slot machines, and he starts to realize he accumulates all these friends, and then there's a famine And he looks at his bank account. His credit cards are declined. And what happens? He doesn't have anything anymore. And the Bible says nobody would give him anything. All of his friends had left. So he gets a job feeding pigs. Now in this culture, if you were Jewish, this was not good. Pigs and pig slop was considered a curse. 
And so what he was doing was he was feeding the pigs, touching that. That means that he would have been cursed. But here's what's even worse. He has such a hunger and he's so hungry, doesn't have any money to eat, that he looks at the pig's slop and it starts to look attractive. He's like, mmm, I see a little bit of McDonald's in there. Oh my goodness, look, there's some carne asada, but it's a little pre-chewed. But, oh man. And you know that you're pretty desperate when you're looking at pig slop. I like to say it this way, and I said it last week. What is pig slop? It's leftovers. And he's starting to settle for a leftover life. A life that God never meant for him to do. My church family, and we're going to read right now, he has a coming to his senses moment. And I hope that people would, I hope that you would, in your life, come to this moment that you realize your need for the Father. Have you found Luke chapter 15, verse 17? It says this, and when he came to his senses, talking about the son, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Everybody say, make me. So I want you to notice he's leaving. He's saying, give me. But now he's broke. And now he's like, Lord, I need you to make me. It's a whole different prayer, right? It's a whole different attitude. He says, make me like one of your hired servants. Now, this is key here because the son is now going to go back and ask the father for more stuff. He's going to ask the father for more. Now, the son does repent. repent. Repentance means to change your mind. In the Greek, it means metanoia, to change your mind. And he's, he's realizing how good his father is, verse 20. So he got up, everybody say he got up. He got up and he went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion and he ran to his son. We talked about this last week, right? The day that God ran, right here. He, he ran to his son, threw up his arms around him, kissed him, and the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and earth and against you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Last week, we talked about five reactions that the father had, but I want to remind us before I talk about that for just a minute and review for just a second, I want to remind you of something. The son rejected the father. This represents people who reject God. He wasted all of the father's money. Can I say it this way? There are people who just waste their life. Can I ask you a question? How much is a life worth? wasting your life. God thinks it's, it's, it's priceless. He gave his only son. He lived wildly. He spent all, and now he's cursed for feeding the pigs. And we're going to find out next week. He has a reputation, right? People filmed him on TikTok, and now he, they, 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 he's just gone viral. People know who he is. But listen, my church family, in his hunger, he remembers his father and that there was food in the father's house. Everybody look at me today. There's food in the father's house. There's food in the father's house. Pastor Phil, it looks like we're going to have a food shortage. I know, but there's food in the father's house. There's food in my father's house. I don't know about your daddy, but I know who my daddy is. And there's food in the father's house. And he starts to remember that. But I want to pick this up today. And I want to show you something because I think it's indicative of the heart of the Father, but it's also the indicative of Passion Life Church and our heartbeat of this whole phrase, welcome 
home. It wasn't what the son could do for the father. It was actually what the father could do for the son that motivated the son. Now I'm gonna break this down for a minute. The son, if I were to ask you, what is the question? This is the question. What motivated the son to go back home? Say it again. Hunger. Food. He was hungry. So watch this. It was not the motivation of the son to go, man, I want to go back and worship my dad, my heavenly father. That wasn't the motivation. That w- the motivation wasn't even this. I want to go home so he can make me holy and he can make me righteous. Why am I saying that to you today? Because his, watch this, his motivation was his need. His motivation, if we could be honest, was he was selfish and he needed something else. What are you saying, Pastor Phil? I'm saying that if we are going to be a church that says, welcome home to people. We've got to get past judging people and their motives of why they're coming to church. Well, I know she's coming to church. You know, she just went through a divorce. It doesn't matter why she's coming to church. The point is, is that she's coming. And like this father, we are going to welcome people home because most people, I don't know about you. Maybe you are the exception. You came to God because you're like, man, I need to be holy. I need to be righteous. But for me, I came to God because I was on my knees and I was ready to commit suicide and I needed something different. It was my need that drew me to the father. And I remember that night when I was 19, getting on my knees and asking, and and I said, God, this is my last hope. I'm going to try you. Isn't that sad when we, God is our just last hope. And I said, I've hit rock bottom and I'm going to take my life if you don't do something different. I said, I, I am not fulfilled. I've done everything my friends told me to do. I partied. I did everything that they told me to do. I did drugs and I am empty. So if you don't do something, I'm going to take my life. And he spoke to me and he said, Phil, you take your life. And I said, what? He said, take your life. You give it to me and I will give you back a life that you could never even imagine. And my church family, he has done just that. Can I hear a good amen today? But why am I saying that? Because I came out of need. I came because I needed him. I was asking him for something. And I want to tell you, God loves it when we come to him. You should never be ashamed of your needs. You should never be ashamed. Actually, you were created to need God. You'll never find the incredible fantastic fulfillment that life is without Jesus because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what he said. But see, we have to be careful that we try to judge other people's motives. Well, you know, if, uh, you know, Frank is coming to church because he just went through a bankruptcy. Who cares? Guess what? Frank, and unfortunately, my heartbreak goes out to Frank that you had to go through a bankruptcy. But listen, if it took a bankruptcy for you to come to the Father's house, come to the Father's house. If it took a bankruptcy for you to get here, I'm so glad you're here. And you know what? I'm not going to judge your motives because just because you went through a bankruptcy, I was on the, on the brink of suicide. And guess what? God was still there with open arms because now the bankruptcy just just caused you to acknowledge your need before God. Well, you know, Pastor Phil, I think he's coming because, you know, last week he he didn't have any gas. So he was over here at the Chevron siphoning gas from people who's stealing gas. And now he's broke. And so he's coming to church. Good. Let him come. And you know what we're going to say to him? Welcome home. 
Because guess what? You need God. I need him too. And here's the, it, it breaks my heart that people have to hit rock bottom to come to God. But here's what I know. When you hit rock bottom, you find out that he is the rock at the bottom. And I hear a good amen today. And so listen, when you come to a point in your life, you have to realize when you come to that point, I need God. It's a good day. It's a good day. Can I hear a good amen today? And so what this prince this parable shows us, listen, is you don't have to clean yourself up before you come to God. This son had lost everything. He's, his clothes are ripped. He doesn't even have shoes on. He smells like pigs and he's walking back home. But I want to say this. This is the great thing that this son did is he repented and he turned his face towards the house of God. He turned his face toward God. Right. And let me just say this before we go on. I, 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 I meet people who I know that their life is not good because they're on Instagram telling us their life is not good. There's people right now on Instagram that I personally have reached out to. And they're, for quote unquote, not a great way to say it, but they're in with the pigs. But here's their thing. They're not going to turn their face towards their father. They're not going to repent. Here's what they're going to do. I need, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get out. You can't do it. You could try all. But let me just say, when this son shows up, it shows you it's the epitome of self-effort. He's broke. He barely has clothes on. And that's life, disconnected from the heavenly father. I want to say this. You know, in the last two years or so, we've seen so many suicides, even with wealthy people, famous people, celebrities. And when I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, it's very easy to look at people's lives and you go, man, they're rich, they're famous. I mean, I'm so surprised that they would commit suicide. My church family, this is the life detached from the heavenly father. You can have money. He had wealth, but at the end of the day, he didn't know his heavenly father. And this is the life. If you were to see him, many people doesn't show, like if you were to look at the the prodigal son, people don't look like that on the outside, but you look on the inside, they are broken. They feel cursed. They feel detached. There's no love. So instead of turning their face towards God, They say, I'll take my own life. Here's the reality. Jesus gave his life so you don't have to take your own. That's a good word. He became sin, not just took on the sin of the world. Bible said he became sin. Why? So you could become the righteousness of God. So you could overcome. But you know what? You've got to get, and we've got to get our eyes off ourselves and back and face our heavenly father. And there he is waiting with open arms. And the Bible says five reactions that we talked about last week. The father saw him when he was a long way off. The father had compassion. The father runs to him. Isn't it amazing? The son takes a couple of steps towards the father's house and the father is looking for him every day. The father runs to the son. He always loves people who repent and turn their face towards his house. And then the father embraces him. Then the father kisses him. We said last week in the Greek that kisses was, man, he's loving on his son. Now, since everybody's back up to speed, the father could have stopped right there. And he says, the father could have said, you're forgiven. 
you need to find a place to live. <laughs> I ain't giving you any, you're forgiven. But here's what you need to know, my church family. The father never just forgives. He always gives gifts. The father doesn't just forgive you. He's generous towards you. Can I hear a good amen today? And that is the difference between mercy and grace. Mercy is God not giving you what you do deserve. You know what? He could have sued his son. He could have said, man, you would have wasted everything. I'm calling the popo. I mean, this is just, you know, we've been looking for you. But you know what? The Bible says that God, this father, didn't give him, could have given him what he, he did not deserve. But grace, what it does is grace gives you what you don't deserve. He deserved just forgiveness, if you could say that. But you know what? The father wasn't done there. The father wasn't done just kissing and embracing him. The father had now five gifts he was going to give to his son. Are you glad you came to church this morning? My church family, the story could have ended right here, but it didn't. And so the father now forgives him. Luke chapter 15, verse 22. But the father said to his servants, here we go. Quick. Everybody say quick. Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's feast and let's celebrate. I want you to notice something. So the father is kissing him. The father is hugging him, right? And even though he's cursed, he smells bad. Listen to what the father says. The son starts to rehearse his little speech. Remember the speech he was rehearsing? He starts to tell his father, hey, listen, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Listen, I, I, I repent. And the father just cuts him off. And that's where the, the word but comes in. But the father, it's almost like he just, whoom. And here's what he said. Watch this. Quick. Everybody say quick. You know what the father wanted? The father had an urgency. The father wanted the son to be in a better condition immediately. Come on, we've got to dress this kid. He's naked. He's not doing well. So you know what? Quick, let's get him a best robe. Here's the first gift he gives him, the best robe. My church family, I'm going to tell you something. God always gives his very best. Always. How do you know that? Look at Jesus on the cross. God didn't have 14 sons. He's like, yeah, I'll give you one. You know, that's, that's cool. I got 13 other lined up here. He gave you the best in Jesus Christ and he put him on the cross. But the Bible, let me, let me rephrase that. The Bible says he willingly laid down his life. He gave you the best. Now this son does not deserve a robe, not even a robe, but you know what God gives him? He didn't give him a robe. He gave him the best robe, the best robe. Now are you ready for this. What does the son have to offer the father? Nothing. Nothing. Actually, listen, he's giving the father his worst. And God, by his grace, is giving the son his best. His best for the worst. Man, that's powerful. That's really powerful. And I think it's funny, though, too, because we're like, you know, I don't want to go because I, I, I can't give God. That's right. You can't. You, what are you going to give him that he's going to go, ooh, I never had that before. You know what he wants? You. You. Well, my heart's broken. That's good, because he heals broken hearts. See, I used to think that way. Why would, why, what does God want from me? My heart's broken. My life is busted. He wants your broken, busted life, because you know what he's going to do? He's going to give you the best for your worst. If you will just look towards your father's house and say, you know what? God, I repent. I'm coming home. Well, you know what? I've got a robe for you. So this means he had to take off his old man, his old 
garments smelt like pigs. And I don't know if you know this, but robes are very significant in the Bible. Robes represent covering. Everybody say that with me. Say covering. So what the son was wearing still smelled like pigs. It was cursed. But you know what? Let's say it this way. He was cursed by sin. But you know what the father does? The father gets a robe and they take off the old garment. And now the father covers him. See, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, right, they hid from the Lord. God would walk in the cool of the day. And he said, Adam, where are you? He didn't ask Adam where he was because God didn't know. He wanted Adam to be honest about where he was. And Adam says, well, we ate from the fruit. We feel ashamed. We're naked. And we covered ourselves. They covered themselves with fig leaves. And I love what God says. He says, who told you you were naked? Because that wasn't from God. Now, if you understand something, they weren't necessarily naked like you would picture, you know, naked people. It was almost like they had a glory on them. It was almost like they had a light. And they forfeited that when they sinned. Now, the Bible talks about the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Now, people have asked me, are there different levels to sin? This, this, that. I will tell you this. The Bible does say that there are sins unto death. In other words, sexual sins, things like that, 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 they can literally kill you. You get a disease. There are some, if I lied to you today, yeah, it's still a sin, but I'm probably not going to die from that lie. But there are things that I could get involved with that could kill me. But in God's eyes, sin is sin. But I'll tell you, you have to think about those things. But what's interesting is that they, they sin and then they try to cover themselves with a fig leaf. What does that represent? It represents self-righteousness. I cover myself because I messed up. Now, do you remember in the New Testament, you and I are under a different covenant. We are under a better covenant. Can I hear a good amen? It's called the new covenant. When Jesus died, he shed his blood, right? Now we are under a new covenant. When Jesus was walking, it's interesting because there he saw a fig tree and the fig tree had no fruit on it. And so Jesus curses the fig tree. And the disciples were like, what? Like what? And they looked at it. I think it was the next day and the tree had withered up and died. And I always asked myself, why would Jesus curse the fig tree? Well, it's because of what it represented. Figs represented self-righteousness because it's what Adam and Eve used to cover themselves when they were sin, when they sin. And so this is what Jesus was telling us. Listen, that tree of self-righteousness will never bear any fruit in your life right? The sin of self-righteousness trying to cover yourself never bears fruit. So Jesus cursed it, right? And so when Adam and Eve were covering themselves with sin, the Bible says in Genesis chapter three, that he covered them with sins, with skin. The Bible doesn't necessarily say that there was an animal killed, but I can tell you that throughout scripture, it says that the, 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 um, the, the shedding of blood is required for Sin. Now I'm going to tell you why that is. Sin takes away your life. Sin will take away your life. The wages of sin is still death. 
right? I've met people who are saved under the grace of God and God healed them from being an alcoholic, actually even started to reverse their liver from cirrhosis, but they went back and they kept drinking and they kept drinking and they died. The wages of sin is still death. Can I hear a good amen today? And so because sin takes away your life, a life is required. So that's where God, he killed an animal and he took the skin from the animal and he covered Adam and Eve. Listen to me. It's always been God's will for him to cover you, not for you to cover you. It's always been God's will for him to protect you with his angels, not you trying to all protect yourself. It's always been God's will that he provide for you, not you worrying about you always trying to provide for yourself. It's God's will to provide for you. But you know what's even, even better? On the way to Jesus's crucifixion, not only did they put a crown of thorns on his head, but they took a purple robe and they put it on Jesus and they mocked him and shamed him. In my church family, Jesus wore a robe of shame so you and I can wear a robe of righteousness. See, this is so symbolic because the father is covering him with a robe. What does that mean? That when the father looks at him, he doesn't see the stench. He doesn't, he doesn't uh, see the, the, the sin anymore. He doesn't see the ripped clothes. He sees the robe that he put on him. And I love this scripture, Isaiah 61, 10. It says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arranged me in a what? Say it loud. A what? A robe of righteousness. So when I stand before God, I'm not standing before God in something that I did myself. I'm not standing before God in my own righteousness and holiness. I'm standing before God in a robe that he put on me. Can I hear a good amen today? And so I am, I stand with the robe. I stand with the robe of righteousness. Now I want you to understand something before I move on. Not everybody's going to like the robe that's been put on you. Because God puts a robe of righteousness, holiness on you, but it's also a robe of favor. See, in the Old Testament, Joseph's father put a, a robe, a coat of many colors on him. And that coat, that robe represented favor. And his brothers hated him. They hated him because of the robe. And you need to know that. But you know, can I just be honest? Anybody can have a robe of righteousness if you'll just believe. God wants to cover you just like he wants to cover me. Can I hear a good amen today? And what I love about the robe and what I love about what we're doing today and what we're looking at, all of these gifts are visible. You could see the robe. See, when Joseph came out with the robe of many colors, you could see that. But you know what? When you understand that you are clothed with the robe of righteousness, you know what happens? You start living with a consciousness of God's love. See, Joseph walked around with that robe and he lived with a consciousness of his father's favor. And although there were haters, he said, I'm going to live in favor. And although they're trying to pull this, this, this robe off, when people who understand that they are clothed in God's favor and live with a consciousness of God's love, oh, they are happy people. Can I hear a good amen today? Now that's cool. A robe, you get a robe. Gucci, whatever, whatever type of material you like. He could have said, love you, son, but he wasn't done. The Bible says, number two, that the father put a ring on his finger. You know, when we get married, 
we give each other's rings. And when I do ceremonies, I always teach that this ring is a symbol of a never-ending love, right? I didn't know this, but in my ring, um, I didn't know I would only have one son at this point, at least natural son. I have some spiritual sons, but I have three rings around my ring. One represents God the Father. One represents God the Son. One represents God the Holy Spirit. One represents me. One represents my wife. One represents my son. And it's a ring that, that I wear. And in marriage, we teach, a bit, we teach that it's a symbol of affection. It also teaches you ladies that I am off the market. For some, a ring may not mean a lot, but it means something to me. Because if you come at me, I'm going to go, hey, look, I'm taken. Right? It means I belong to somebody. And that's cool when we talk about marriage. But when you look back into the Old Testament, something you're going to know about me as a teacher of the word, I always interpret the Bible with the Bible. I think that's important. So when I, when I, when I, when I hear about the ring, I'm like, what, what, is this, what does this mean? Well, when you look at the ring in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament with the life of Joseph, when Joseph got into Pharaoh's palace and he became second over all, Pharaoh gave Joseph a ring. It's called a signet ring. And what that ring does, it's almost like it has cursive written on it. It could even have the Pharaoh's very own signature that he gave to Joseph. So Joseph could do any transaction. When Joseph wanted to purchase something in Egypt, he just stamped the ring. This ring represents authority, my church family. And so when the father put the ring on the son, it was a family crest signet ring that meant now you have the right to do transactions based on our family. Why is this important? I want, you to, I want you to hear this, my church family. Some people can't even get over the robe of righteousness. They cannot, even with, they try their hardest to realize that they're righteous. And how could a, a, a great father give me his best for my worst? And they struggle with righteousness. And all I can tell you is you can only understand it by faith. That's the only way. And let me just say this. When you come to a place in your life that you think what you did is greater than what Jesus did on the cross, you have a problem. And I'm going to tell you what the problem is. It's pride. When you think that your sin is greater than what Jesus did on the cross, basically what you are saying is that when Jesus said it was finished, it's not finished because he couldn't cover or forgive your sins. My church family, I want to remind us today that when Jesus and what he did on the cross, everything he went through, he said, it is finished. It is forgiven. There's nothing more for you and I to do but receive his grace and forgiveness. Can I hear a good amen today? But watch this. It's because some people can't get past the robe. They never get to the ring of authority. The ring of authority. See, because what happens is God wants you and I to walk as sons. See, this is why I say this is so incredible because it's visible. So now when the son walks through the house, right, he's got a robe on. Everybody can see. Now, I didn't say this and I should have said it, but that robe that he gave him was actually a robe that was reserved for a dignitary or a government official. If a government official came to the house, they would put that robe on him. So when the government official walked 
through the house, they knew, oh, okay, here's a very important person. And so he had this robe on, right? It's visible. Then now he has the authority now of the father to be able to get back in business and have the authority to make transactions. And my church family, I'm telling you, God didn't want you just to be forgiven. God didn't want you just to come back and be righteous. God wants you to have his authority to walk through this earth as sons and daughters of God. Come on, say it loud. Make the devil mad. Say, I'm a child of God. Come on, say it. Say, I'm a child of God. Say, watch out, devil. I got my robe on. And I'm going to learn how to use the ring. You have authority over the enemy. He's defeated. And God has put a ring on your finger, a ring of authority. For us, you say, Pastor Phil, what does the ring represent? For us, the ring represents the name of Jesus. And you know what? We are carriers of that name, that we are able to use the name of Jesus in any circumstance that we have. You and I can say the name of Jesus. Jesus. Don't just struggle wearing the robe. Step into the ring. Step into the authority that God has for you. Number three, the father gives him new shoes. New shoes. You say, why, why is that significant, Pastor Phil? Well, a couple reasons. Some scholars believe that the Greek word here for shoes is, is not just like a cheap sandal. It's actually a, a, a luxury item. The shoes that he put on the son were a luxury item. Uh, how many of you think that the father would give him the best shoes? If he gives him the best robe, he's going to give him the best shoe. My, my, my church family, our God is rich. I don't understand where we get this idea that we're serving El Cheapo. Can I hear a good amen to our coupon God? It, that's not it, right? Come on, somebody right? He's El Cheapo sitting upstairs in his Cedo. Come on, you know, it's like, come on, that is religion, my church family. Religion claims you have to earn God's favor. And here's the lie and the deception. You could never do it. You could never be good enough. You could never earn his favor. That's why you could only receive it by his grace. Now, are you ready? Listen, none of these things that the father gave this son were necessities. You could live and walk barefoot. You could live in your torn up clothes. The father always gives you more than you could ever ask or imagine or think. That's our heavenly father. The father does much more than meet his needs. And I always think about how, how funny people are. Like, well, if God will just meet my needs. God wants to do way more than that. Actually, he wants to meet your needs. And as we talked about in the promise series, he wants to bless you. So now you're helping to meet other people's needs. That the generosity is flowing through you like a river. That now you become a conduit of the blessing of God. But we, why do we think so low? You know why? Because we still think we're unrighteous. And every time we make a mistake, we still think we're unrighteous. Listen, you are covered with the forgiveness of God. When you make a mistake, say, thank God I am forgiven. I thank you today. I repent of what I just did, but I thank you that I'm forgiven. I am a child of God. And you keep walking forward and you are going to start to use the ring and the authority that God gave you. And then he puts shoes on his feet. I think this is so amazing. Because in the New Covenant, the Bible talks about 1 John 1, 17, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, here's what you need to understand. In the, in the Old Covenant, and this is true, 
But I think it's funny because I still, I still hear preachers talking about this and it is in the Bible, but it's the old covenant. In the old covenant, it says God will remember your sins to the third generation. But in the new covenant, God says, I will remember your sins no more. Can I hear a good amen today? So watch this. In the old covenant, Moses sees a burning bush and God says, Moses, hey, Mo, take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. So Moses is taking off his shoes. Why? Because shoes represented the dirt that you carried from walking. A lot of them walk through dirt. So he had to take off his shoes. You got to take off your own dirt if you're going to stand before me. Watch how different it is in the new covenant. In the new covenant, the father is putting shoes on the son. And says, I'm going to give you what you need to stand before you. Again, I want to cover you. I want to give you the shoes to be able to stand before me. So if you're going to walk in righteousness, you're going to walk in the righteousness with the shoes that I gave you. Come on, that's good today. So God puts shoes on your feet. And not only that, when you're in battle in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, our feet, right, are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So the shoes that I stand represent peace. Peace what? Not only peace in my heart, but listen, peace with God. So I have a robe that represents his righteousness. I have a ring that represents his authority, but now I have shoes that give me the peace that I need to also stand before God and win in every single battle. Cause they're not my shoes. They're not Michael Jordan's shoes. Come on. They're not LeBron James shoes. They're shoes given by the almighty God. Can I hear a good amen today? And I still think Michael Jordan's the best basketball player ever. So here's number four. Then he says, how many of you agree? That's enough. Like, I'd be like, that's a good Christmas right there. Like, that's, that's good. He ain't done. He says, we're going to kill the fatted calf because we're going to have some food. And here again, what do I see? I see bloodshed, right? Blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. But I want to remind you something. The son was eating leftovers. And yet in his father's house, there was a calf, fully fatted, prime rib, steak dinner, waiting for him. And my church family, this is my heart for this church. I hope you never live a leftover life. I, I, I hope that you, so many people are eating leftovers in their life and they don't understand that God has a fatted calf. Now, if you're a vegetarian, can you just not be one for one minute so I can do this illustration? Can I hear a good amen today? But you can eat leftovers if you want. And I'm going to tell you this as we close. This is what, you, you know, I, I'm, a, I, I'm a weird guy. And some of you are like, yeah, you don't need to tell us that. We named the church Passion Life Church because we're passionate. In worship, we should be clapping. We should be singing. Right? You clap and you yell for the Chargers and they don't even win. Go Steelers. Anyway, so you know what I'm talking about? You get all emotional, passionate about your stuff. But we should be passionate about God. Why? Because he's passionate for us. But I want to tell you what moves me. Sometimes it makes me cry when I see people eating leftovers when we have a God who loves us so much, who wants to give us his best, all he wants you to do is turn towards him 
and realize what you've done wrong and he's got the best for you. But my heart as a pastor breaks when I'm trying to say, look, you can't do this in your own strength. Stop eating the pig slop of this world and step into the Father's house. Come on, welcome home. Come on, put your robe on. Put your ring. Come on, get your shoes on. And you know what? Let's eat some steak. Come on, let's eat the best. It's our Father's house. Can I hear a good amen today? This father gives this son his own cow. I'm sure it's grass-fed. Come on, somebody. I, I thought I'd get better. I left that out. That's why I didn't get good amens, and I was like, oh, I didn't say grass-fed. If I were to say grass-fed, it was lactose-free, too. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Eating pig slop, but his dad had his own calf waiting for him. Which one do you want? Some of you go, which one do I deserve? You deserve the pig slot. But thank God, God doesn't give you what you deserve. He gives you not only mercy, but he gives you grace. And here's what I want you to know about this church. If God said we could have it, if God has it for us, I want to step into it. And not just me. Listen, I want you to step into it too. Why do I want you to step into it? I want you to step in it so you understand it and you experience it. But I'm going to close with this next one. But I want you to walk in it so the world that is over there eating leftovers can look at you and go, how'd you get that big cow? Because we have a heavenly father who loves us so much. Do you know that they fed this cow and it was fatted for this very reason, for a special occasion. And here's the last one for today. Are you glad you came to church? I want to, on this next one, I want to poke every religious devil. Because this may blow your mind. Number five, the father throws a party. Many people don't see God celebrating. Although he says, in my presence is fullness of joy. He defines his very presence by joy. That's why I love that we laugh together. For some of you, and I'm laughing up here too. I hope you, you, have, you like that you have a pastor that laughs and not just like this every week going. And you walk out of here going, yeah, I knew I was bad. Because that used to be the thing. I, I can make you feel guilty all day. And you walk out of here going, and you, guess what that does? It focuses you on you but it doesn't focus you on the father. So my job, if you walk out of here seeing Jesus and the father better, I've done my job. But if you walk out looking at yourself, then I didn't do what I needed to do. Can I hear a good amen today? But the father throws a huge party, a huge party. My church family, robe, ring, shoes, calf, that would have been enough, but not for the father. The father now listen, the Bible says that this party is so loud. It's so loud. For some of you, you're like, man, that worship's a little loud. Wait till you get to heaven. Put some toilet paper in your ears. That's fine. But come and worship. But you know what? I told the Lord, I said, Lord, we're going to have this type of church. A church that knows how to celebrate lost people coming home. I mean, party. A church that knows how to worship. A, a worship, a church that knows how to yell, thank you, Jesus. If you can yell, God charge us, you can yell, thank you, Jesus. Come on, somebody. It's so loud that the older brother, who we're going to talk about next week, 
Mr. Killjoy. Mr. Happy. So a lot of people have the older brother syndrome. That's what we're going to talk about next week. It's so loud. He's not even at the party. He hears, he hears that, that subwoofer. Boom, boom, boom. And he looks and he sees and he looks in, in the room and people are doing the electric slide. Come on, somebody. Right? The cha-cha-cha song. He's like, what's going on over here? It's not my birthday. Right? What's the new one? Get back. Get back. I don't know. I don't know what the new one is. <laughs> what's going on in there? His dad threw a party. And many of you have never seen God like that because you see God through the eyes of religion. This, this is totally, come on, let's shame the devil. He, the joy, the Christians, we should be the most joyful people on this earth. And I told God, if you ever allow me to have a church, it's not going to be like a funeral. It's going to be like this, where we're going to come together and celebrate the presence of God. There's going to be smoke coming out, right? There's going to be lights, right? Why do you got to do that? You got to, no, we don't got to do that. But we want this atmosphere to celebrate the presence of God, not to walk in here and go, yeah, I'm going to church. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah, I can't wait. What time is it? I don't got to go. I want you to go out. Man, they were sweating during worship. It was awesome. Man, we were clapping. I did a little of my whatever I do. It was great. The Bible says that we're supposed to dance before the Lord. The Bible says David danced naked before the Lord. Now, we're not going to do that. But you know what I'm talking about? A life that is reflected of the Heavenly Father. There was music. There was dancing. People invite me to their weddings all the time. I'm thankful. But I sit there and go, I see people at our church at the reception I mean, ladies picking up their dress. Like. And then what's weird, that's cool. They come to church and they're like, what happened to that person I just saw yesterday? Because there's some disconnect that we think the father doesn't love celebration. And he loves when we rejoice. And you have a reason to rejoice. You're forgiven. You've got Grace. That should put a smile on your face. Ooh, now I'm rapping. And I want to tell you, this is your heavenly father. And I want this to be our church. That if one person walks down here and gives their heart to Jesus, we go crazy. And we say, welcome home to your heavenly father and your brothers and your sisters. This is who we are. Read Luke chapter 15 about how many parties are thrown. The Bible says in heaven they rejoice when one sinner comes back home. In my church family, I want to do the best. Now today if you're like, man, this is, I went to that Passion Life church and it was crazy. It was, it was weird. This may not be the church for you. Love you, but we're going to party. We're going to laugh. We're going to see miracles. We're going to see the prodigals come home. Come on, we're going to be a church that represents the heart of the Father. Can I hear a good amen? Would you stand together? Meet so many serious Christians. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? Just close your eyes. Not to be weird, but just to focus for a moment. So many people don't know the love of the Father. They know religion. What you're going to find out next week is 
the older brother has problems with this celebration. That him and his younger brother both live in the same house, but neither of them knew their father. And I meet a lot of Christians who have been Christians for 10, 15 years. And in my conversations with them and the way that they act, I realize one thing. They don't know the Father, the Heavenly Father, that wants you to walk around in the robe of righteousness. Not in arrogance, not in pride, but like we sang today, to know who you are. I am who God says I am. And right now, I just pray, if you close your eyes and bow your head, Father, I pray that today you would wrap your loving arms around your people. Father, that today, if there's sin in our lives, that we would confess and say, God, I want you. I don't want to live a leftover life. And I promise you, my church family, the best life is the God life. It's the God life. He's the author of life. He is life. And he wants you to step into that as a son, as a daughter. And maybe right now as we pray, some of you need to disconnect from your earthly dad, the things that have hurt you, the things. And I'm telling you, if you'll just be open and turn your face towards the father, heart of God, he'll make you into the man, the woman that you've always wanted to be. That's the only way I can describe Christianity to people. It's like, man, I'm forgiven, full of grace, but I'll tell you what, I'm the person I've always wanted to be. Loving people, having fun, worshiping God. It's great. It's the great life. Father, I pray right now that you would heal people, you would touch people. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them, that you would clothe them with the robe of righteousness today, that they would be conscious of your great love. Father, that today, right now, that you would wrap your arms around people today, put shoes on their feet. They don't stand alone, but we stand in the presence of our Father. Father, I pray that authority would rise us in us to take care of the things that need to be taken. As the enemy tries to remind us of our past and we know he's defeated. We know that our sins are forgiven. So father, I thank you today with every head bowed and every eye closed. We never like to close a service without giving you the opportunity to become a child of God, a real religious person. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. I like to call him Nick at night. And he came and he asked Jesus about the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, you must be born again. It's not about religion. It's about receiving Jesus in your heart. You were born once from your parents, but now there's a new birth that comes from the inside. How do we get that? By just saying, God, forgive me of my sins. I repent today and receiving Jesus in our heart, his son. And today, if you've never asked Jesus to come inside your heart, let it be a new day. Let it be a day that we can say, welcome home to you. Welcome home. Welcome to the Father's house. It's not by your works, not by your religion, but by his grace. I want to pray. If you've never prayed this prayer, if you're watching online, would you pray with us in-house? If you've never prayed this prayer, we want to pray with you. We want to celebrate with you. We want to welcome you to the family of God. Repeat after me. Say, Father God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for me. Father God, forgive me of all of my sins. Jesus, come inside my heart and make me new. 
And by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope that you were encouraged and uplifted by today's message. For more information about Passion Life Church, visit us online at passionlifechurch.com.